Hi, I'm Amy, digital editor of Women's Health and girl boss of the Wellness Mindset. That's my brand for living a life in balance. If you're thinking, oh geez, not another wellness podcast, let me assure you that this isn't that. After spending four years eating and exercising my way around the London fitness scene, I've now got a good grasp on what being healthy actually means. And let me assure you, it includes way more than just kale and cardio. So this is your space to hear from the women who've inspired me, so hopefully they can inspire you too. Each episode in this series is recorded live at Lululemon Regent Street. If you want to be part of the audience, or gang, follow my Instagram, which is wellness underscore ed, where I'll be announcing more dates. In this episode, I speak to Dr. Hazel Wallace, who after a family tragedy was inspired to help people and has since gone on to launch the Food Medic brand, write two best-selling cookbooks, qualified as a junior doctor, she writes for Women's Health and has also launched a new podcast. Welcome, Hazel. First of all, thank you, Amy, for letting me be here tonight for your first podcast. It's such an honour. So it's so lovely to be with all of you here. Um, you kind of summarised everything that I'm doing, which is quite a lot when you say it like that. It is very busy. So I guess my 2018 highlights, my second book came out, The Food Medic for Life, which came out in April. Woo! Thank you. I'm really, really happy with it. It's really a recipe book, but also I focus a lot around how busy we are and I really try to recognize that with the book so I've got really quick and easy recipes but also I've got recipes for the times where you've got a bit more time so like lazy brunches girls night in that kind of thing um so the book was my biggest project and then the podcast the food medic podcast which which actually only officially went live two weeks ago. And I was very nervous about it, but it's doing very well. It's top of the health podcast chart. So if you haven't listened, please do and leave me a review and let me know what you think. Um, other than that, I'm really just doing a lot with the Food Medic and trying to get us, I guess, the Food Medic brand is all about education and trying to um, kind of share evidence-based advice and bring that science into a into a health space and make it a bit more accessible and fun and enjoyable for people. And that's really what I'm doing. Yeah. (laughs) Not much, hey, guys. (laughs) Um, And so before you became the food medic and you did all these amazing things, um, you obviously lived a completely different life. So where did your health journey begin? Um, It's a really long story, but it started really back when I was 14 when I first... um, I lost my father to a stroke and I think that was my first, the first time I sowed the seed that there's this link between our health, our kind of our lifestyle and also kind of the impact of food on our health. Um, As we know, stroke is largely related to lifestyle, whether it's diet, exercise, stress and lots of other things, but also there's genetics and things that we can't control. So I grieved really heavily after that when I was about 16. It was a bit of a delayed onset and fell out of love with food, which is something that is very integral to my family. And also, I think most families um, lost my love for food. But how I got myself better and kind of pulled myself out of depression and also I was very underweight was with the help of my GP. And it was her really that made me realize that I, I want to be a doctor and I want to help people in the way that she helped me. So anyway, I packed up my bags and I moved to Wales and I decided to become a doctor and I was studying medicine. Um, and as most people have it, you move away from home and 
my mum wasn't cooking for me anymore and I started like living off takeaways um, and fast food and just really enjoying myself but I got to the end of my first year and I couldn't run for the bus and <laughs> looked very different to how I, I kind of moved there so I decided wow if I want to be a doctor I really need to look after myself because I want to be a picture of health for my patients so that's when I fell in love with resistance training, so weightlifting. This is six years ago, so weightlifting wasn't cool, and it was very daunting to kind of venture into the weights room, and I wanted to know what was the best diet to fuel this. I actually remember Googling what is the best diet, and this is a medical student here, um, and there is no best diet. <laughs> Spoiler alert, but anyway, it made me realize there's a lot of information online, and a lot of it was unfounded by science, and I thought, hey, why don't I use my kind of, you know, my expertise here or actually the skills I've picked up through uni to kind of translate that science and share the information I'm learning. So I started this food medic blog, which I was really shy about and didn't want to tell my peers. And it just took off and I, you know, I carried it out throughout medical school and I kept realising there's gaps in the curriculum. We're not talking about physical activity. We're not talking about, you know, lifestyle. And yet all of the patients we see are suffering from things that are largely preventable through good nutrition, stress management, sleep, and exercise. Uh, and I was talking about this and no one was listening. And it was, it was hard, but I just kept going. And I think what started as a personal journey then became this professional, I guess it's become it, my job now. This is, yeah. I've dedicated my life now to encouraging people to take control of their health through their lifestyles. Amazing. <laughs> And so, going, going back, and thank you so much for being so honest about your whole journey. Um, and so, going back to that moment when um, you obviously experienced like a really terrible tragedy, up until that point, had illness not really been on your radar? Was it just... No, I guess like, you know, I was 14, you know, it just wasn't at the forefront of my mind. I just ate what was ever given to me. And, you know, like any other teenager, it was like... I wasn't really concerned about getting my vegetables in or anything. And yeah. I fell out of love with exercise because it wasn't really cool. It wasn't what my friends were doing anymore, which I'm really sad about because I was so big into sport as a kid. Right. And then as most teenagers, they kind of move away from that. You find boys and other things. So we didn't have <laughs> mobiles then. We'd, we, well, we had Nokias and Snake and that was about the height of it. And I just think... and. It, I mean, reflecting on that now makes it... It's so interesting because we see teenage girls and it's so hard to get girls into sport and boys because they're so distracted by yep. technology. And I think that's something that I would love to see changing and how we do that, I don't know. I mean, there's lots of ways, but it's a side note. <laughs> <laughs> and so up until that point, what did you want to be before you then became on your doctor career or did you not have... I, my dad was an accountant, so my family were like, oh, you're good at maths, you can be an accountant okay. too. And I actually had a bit of a dilemma with myself because after I lost my dad, I felt like I might betray him if I don't become an accountant and carry on with the family business. But there was just something in me that felt like I really should be a doctor. And that's why I changed all my subjects from business to all the sciences. Um, and I really loved it. And I know in my soul I'm supposed to be a scientist and, and I'm not good with numbers. <laughs> <laughs> and so that must have been quite hard, like changing track. And then you must have had to have worked quite hard at science to then get into medical school if you hadn't been on that journey. Yeah. And I didn't get in. In Ireland, I didn't get into medical school. And I felt like a, like a bit of a failure, to be honest, right. because I got, you know, I missed out on one grade. I got a B instead of an A. And I was like 
right, okay, I can give up, or I went to Wales and did a medical sciences as, a, as my undergraduate. That was a three-year degree, and then I went on to graduate entry medicine after that. Right. So I was a bit older, but it was worth it. Because <laughs> in that moment, you could have just given up. I could have, yeah. But instead, you found another route, and I think that's very... That applies itself to health as well. Sometimes, like, your first journey doesn't always work. And actually, you know, you've just got to find your route in. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I think, like, you hit the nail on the head. Like, there's no one right way of doing it. Like, you love running, and I definitely don't. But (laughs) (laughs) I like other other ways of staying fit. And it's just figuring that out for yourself, I think. Okay. And because during that time, so then, obviously, then you picked yourself up and you moved away from your family. Um... Change countries, basically. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, how did you deal with the stress of studying and being a medical student? I think exercise really helped me. Right. It was very methodical, and it was almost like a mindful practice, although back then we didn't really use that term. No. But that's what was <laughs> happening. And I would do it every morning before I'd go to lectures or the library. And... I ever thought I was a bit mad to be getting up early, you know, like after a night out. But I really enjoyed it and it made me feel good and it kept me energised. And now that I've kind of really, really researched this area and I realise that actually exercise really improves your performance, your learning and your memory, I'm mm-hmm. like, well, we should be getting all kids to be doing this before school and lectures. And it's, it's so interesting, but that's really what kept me energised. And I think I was the packed lunch queen and I still am and I I still lend that to a lot of my success because it meant I could you know stay focused I was feeling myself right and but I also made time to go out and enjoy myself with my friends as well it wasn't like you know super strict or anything okay and because before the packed lunches there was a whole load of low calorie food wasn't there yeah (laughs) there was definitely an experimental period between the I went from someone who had like Doritos and melted cheese for dinner to someone who was like, well, should I try these shakes and things that you see in boots? Because a lot of my girlfriends were doing that. And I just felt like I was just so hungry all the time. And I gave up pretty quickly. I was like, this is just crap. And like, (laughs) I mean, I, I looked at the ingredients and I thought, where am I getting my nutrients from? Like, I know this is giving me calorie nutrients, but where am I getting my micronutrients from? And that was quite concerning for me. Um, and that's when I was really like started kind of looking deep into the literature. What is the evidence for that? And I, I think then paleo movements were quite big. And that, yeah. that's really what I modeled my first healthy diet on. And I, you know, I think paleo is super fatty and everything. But to be honest, the basics, the fundamentals of it is having lots of fruits and vegetables. And, you know, a, well, they're a bit heavy on meat. But I mean, the basics of it isn't a bad diet. And I think once I learned that actually you can have eggs for breakfast and survive, then I started doing that. I started having more greens. I started cooking from scratch. And I think cooking again made me realize it made me develop more of a, a relationship with food it wasn't just a to-do thing it was more of a, a thing I really enjoyed and I'd come home from lectures and be like you know cook with my friends cook for the rest of the house and just really enjoy it I wish I was at uni with you <laughs> <laughs> I, de- I definitely didn't have that <laughs> but if, it sounds there that like you then went through this mindset shift towards food that was the word shift by the way (laughs) (laughs) nothing else um because you realize that it made you feel much better yeah that's it and I people don't really I mean I think people are shocked when I say this but I realized 
I felt it really quick. It wasn't just like, oh yeah, after six months I felt good. It was literally after two, three weeks. I felt amazing, but it's really important for me to point out that I was literally eating three bowls of Frosties for my breakfast every morning. And I swapped that for eggs and spinach and toast. And I'm going to feel good. I'm going to feel good because I'm getting greens in. And I'm exercising and... It's, it wasn't easy. It wasn't easy to change that. And the hardest thing is changing the routine and the habit because it yeah. meant I had to get up early. I had to put in the effort. I had to go shopping. I had to start cooking again. And all of that was, you have to have like, a, you have to really be motivated. And that's the hardest thing. It's the hardest thing I have with my patients. I think it's all well and good as pushing out nutritional information. But unless you're hand-holding and giving people like step-by-step guidance on how to make that advice applicable to them, yeah. it's not going to go anywhere. It's going to go through one ear and go out the other. And do you remember, were there times during it that, like, say you got 10 days into cooking eggs and you were just like, I'm done with this? Yeah. But then you managed to muster something back up again? or Yeah, definitely. But that made me more experimental in my cooking. And that's right. why I started, I really started sharing recipes and stuff because I was like, well, if I'm going to do this healthy eating thing, it's got to be fun and it's going to be tasty. Because <laughs> also, once you've done 10 days of the same picture, it must get pretty boring, right? Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Um, and so, and then did you find it hard in the beginning to when you were starting to make those regular food habits? Did you find shopping quite hard? Or um, I think so, but I think I was really safe and I just stuck with the same things for a long time. Right. Um, there was a lot of just tomatoes, eggs, and spinach. But my boyfriend at the time was playing rugby, and he ate quite healthily as well. Right. He didn't originally, but we kind of started doing it together. And I think having a partner who was also doing it, not to say we wouldn't go to Nando's on the weekend or whatever, yeah. but most of the time we're eating quite well together and trying new different, you know, different things. Um, and that encouraged me to try different vegetables. I'll be like, what's this? I'm going to YouTube it and figure out how I cook with it. Okay. And I think that's a really good rule of thumb. Like, one of the things, especially here in the UK, but also in the Western world, we tend to stick to the same foods, um, especially the same plant foods. I think there's 15 plant foods this, that we eat kind of 75% of the time, but there's 40,000 plant species that we just don't tap into. And I, what I say to patients is, every week have a veg of the week just go around the supermarket chuck in something that you've never seen before you don't know youtube it or ask me <laughs> and just try slide it slide into those dms just slide into my dms <laughs> ask me how to use that and i'll tell you or i'll youtube it <laughs> but you've definitely hit something and like a nail on the head there because i don't know about the rest of you ladies here tonight but when you start changing your behavior and you're in a friend group you can definitely feel like a bit of an idiot can't you and you're like oh and you go out for dinner and you're yeah. trying to order healthily and you're a bit worried about what everyone else is going to think. Did you, did you feel the same? Obviously, you had your boyfriend, but... Yeah, no, I definitely did, you know, because I keep going back six years like it was years and years ago, but it actually feels like quite long ago. And back then, that their kind of wellness movement, especially in, in the valleys in Wales where I was living, wasn't really big. Um, and because I was trying to make healthier choices, I think in the beginning, people were kind of like, hmm, that's a bit odd. Or like my friends were like, why are you doing that? But they were, because they're my friends, they were really understanding. Yep. And they, I guess they noticed how passionate I was and I started this little 
cheeky like cringy blog called the food medic <laughs> so they're like just like let her do her thing and it but it is difficult and there wasn't like a lot of availability and yeah. I think you have to take it with a pinch of salt and not let it consume your life because I see some people who have the best intentions to have healthy lifestyles but then that impacts their social lives and they don't go out with their friends or they feel like they can't eat in a certain way. And I think you have to be flexible with your life. This is a life. This is not just six weeks of healthy living. And I think you can probably relate to that. You have to, you know, do what you can when you can, but enjoy yourself. And so do you feel that you made healthy healthy became a lot simpler because she was in Wales for instance like in London we've had so many wacky food ingredients um that have been like um like kind of like people have started to believe that if they have this one thing like a turmeric shot every day it's the be all and end all of health but I suppose in Wales you're not going to get that in your local shop are you no absolutely and like my first cookbook I actually developed all the recipes when I was living in my student house in my fifth year so I had like like you know any student kitchen like micro kitchen with like six people at a time and I'm like I'm just gonna get my kale <laughs> like, <laughs> like trying to create these recipes in a tiny kitchen with like I didn't have a car at the time so I couldn't go to big Tesco and I had to go to small Tesco so what I say to people when I'm talking about the book I'm like seriously you can get all the ingredients in any shop (laughs) and it's not going to take long and you don't need lots of pots and pans (laughs) and that's my claim to fame for the first book but that but I've carried that through even now even though I can go to Whole Foods I'm like seriously just stick with what ingredients you can get in any supermarket it doesn't need to be niche whole food ingredients once it's fruits and vegetables whole grains just the basics and you can make a really healthy meal just keep it simple yeah and so um obviously so you did all of this and you started the food medic and you but you're also a doctor and you were on being a were you a gp or were you practicing in hospital when you decided that you were really going to go with the food medic brand practicing in the hospital so i'm not a gp now oh no sorry Got that wrong, guys. (laughs) Wrong bit of info. (laughs) But, I mean, everyone kind of, like, thinks that. Because it is... I, you know, technically I am, I'm gen, I have a general practice. Right. So because I haven't gone into specialty training, I'm considered like a foundation doctor and I just do a little bit of everything. So f- on Friday, for example, I'm doing breast surgery, right. which people are always like, this is a bit random. And I'm like, well, yeah, that's what I do on my day job. <laughs> yeah. Um, but it was, I worked full time last year and then I decided I'm going to take a step back from full time training and really give a go of the food medic but why wasn't being a doctor enough? Because you got there and you're like, and you're helping people and that's what's inspired your journey. So yeah. I, there's so many incredible doctors out there and becoming a doctor is the proudest thing I've ever done because it took me long to get there. But what I realized is I have this, and this sounds a little bit hippy dippy, so just bear with me, <laughs> but it feels like I've been given this gift and that gift is like the food medic. I didn't, all of these things happened and I didn't intend them to. I didn't, you know, plan it to happen. And there's a part of me that thinks it's like this higher power and whether that's my dad or whatever it is has put me on this path. And I am an, I'm a very unique doctor in that I am a personal trainer. I can blog and I can translate the very complicated science into what I think is quite fun and engaging. Mm. Um, and yeah, so I... I think that's made, it took me a while to kind of accept that and go, you probably won't become a consultant neurologist that you thought you'd be. <laughs> You'll probably create your own specialty in this field. And I'm okay with that because I think 
I can help more people online and through the food medic than I can in the hospital. I think it's a great mindset to have. <laughs> and I just have this image of you being um, in a hospital writing out prescriptions and it's like five courgettes. <laughs> five courgettes and five squats. <laughs> and a ten minute walk around the park. Um, did you... Um, so, obviously, you do work alongside doctors who've got years and years and years of experience and, you were building, and you bu- you're building up the food medic brand at the same time. Did you ever worry what other people would think of you having this kind of side hustle? Yeah, like, <laughs> yeah. And when I, I had it private for a long time, especially as a medical student, because I think, like, when I think back, I was like, oh, my God, I was so sassy and bold to, like, do that. And I just kind of, like, pushed through. Um, some of my seniors at the time and lecturers were a bit concerned that, because I was, it was doing quite well. They were like, well, it might impact your studies and you may not pass your finals. And that almost gave me a bit more of a fire in my belly. And I worked really hard and ended up getting um, on the dean's list. And you don't get on that until unless you're like top of your year. So I did qualify really, really high in my year. And I was really happy with that. But I think even now, I think I'm over it now because sometimes I do come up against older doctors who are far more experienced and have you know, maybe done this for a long time. And Nutritional science, for example, is not very robust. It's not clean yeah. like drug trials and things like that. So a lot of doctors feel uneasy um, kind of accepting the evidence behind that because they're like, it's not really there yet. And also, we don't learn anything about it. Well, you learn a little bit at medical school, but you learn nothing about physical activity. And that's something else I'm super mm. passionate about. But now I go around, and I was just speaking to you earlier, Amy, like today I was you know, doing a presentation that I'm going to present to GPs. Like, I do that week by week. I go around. I'm invited to GP conferences to tell them what they need to tell their patients. So now they're kind of like, actually, we need you. (laughs) Can you come come back now? (laughs) So that ballsy moment is paying off. It's paying off. And it's really nice. It's really nice to be accepted by my peers for that reason. And, um, which is amazing. And how did you juggle having two things so like um because i openly admit that sometimes i find it quite overwhelming juggling a day job at women's health um which doesn't really stop and then i'm doing different things on the side and i think you have to definitely have a strategy Mm. so that you can still enjoy life yeah i agree i think i completely lost that enjoyment of life last year and i only kind of say that in hindsight now that i look back but I was working full-time, and if any of you know any junior doctors, full-time is like 24-7, 365 days a year. Like, I mean, I remember, like, I was worked nights even over Christmas. It was horrible, but that's what you have to do, and that, you know, that's the nature of the beast. And, you know, I just... I'm super grateful for the job, but it's hard. And it's Mm. especially hard when you run a business as well and you have to write a book and you have to run a social media. And I know I don't have to do all of those things, but I want to. Um, And I lost the social aspect and that was a large reason for me going, I need to take a year out of training because I need to look after A, myself, and also like... I need to kind of rethink about where I'm taking this and what's important to me. And so when you say social, that's um, not seeing enough friends and family. Yeah, yeah. Mm. And I think that's, you know, uh, there's, a, there's a term called lifestyle medicine and you probably have come across it. And really it's kind of doctors who are passionate about exercise, diet, sleep and stress management. But one thing that I always think that we don't really talk about is the fifth element and that's social. Yeah. And that, like, I mean, I've put it into my talk tomorrow as well because I think we need to remember that 
you know, our social life and our human connections actually confer a huge amount of health benefits. And we know, like, the healthiest populations in the world are those that, like, have those really great communities and who yeah. eat together and who do everything together. So I think health doesn't mean anything if you don't have those connections either. Because you love going home and spending time with your mum, don't you? And I having do. family meals. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I do, I do. And I think I always will. Um, I mean, I'm, I know everyone does, you know. It's just like when you're at uni, you want to go home and have your mum cook you dinner. <laughs> <laughs> and so now are you putting more of that time into your life? Is it more like, do you, do you segment things? So you're like, this is definitely my work element, this is my fitness and this is my social? Yeah, I do. I don't think I'll ever get it perfect. And at this point in my life, I've accepted that it might be a little bit more worky, less like social life yeah. for the moment. And I'm okay with that. But what I've tried to do is reclaim my weekends. Yeah. I still do some work on the weekend, but try to do things like this weekend. I'm going to Brighton because I'm relatively new to London and I haven't been there before. So oh. I'm doing that. Um, which is a great pottery big cafe step for me. You can go paint stuff. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and just doing things like that and like meeting more people um, and trying to have like a bit more girl time and that. Yeah, just a little bit of everything. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds really good. Sounds like you've you're getting it. You're getting there with kind of like balance, I suppose. Yeah. So where it was kind of maybe a bit off balance, you've reclaimed it. Yeah, absolutely. And I think we all do that. We'll tip one way, and then it's just kind of trying to find ways to bring it back up. And have you had to let yourself ask for help during this time? Because I think one of the big things is, is that we juggle so many things and sometimes it can be quite scary to ask for help. Yeah. So taking time out of the training program was really scary as well because I had to, you know, go towards a board and be like, I want to take a year out. <laughs> I'm really scared. <laughs> and they're like, it's okay, you can tell us and it's fine, you can take the year out. And I was like, oh, phew. Um, but that was really scary and that was a really big thing for me to say out loud. And also yeah. I feared what other people who my followers would actually think because um, a lot of people celebrate the fact that I juggle a lot of things and to say actually I need to take time out and I don't think I can juggle everything will people think I'm like you know you know will they look up to me less and that was hard um, but also like I took on you know I've got some people who help me with the website now um, yeah. and yeah Delegating tasks as well is really hard, especially if you're like, you know, super OCD like me. But I've realized that you have to in order to grow. Yeah. And so, and pause doesn't mean stopping. No. It just is a way of dealing with things. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and so, one of the things that I wanted to ask you about was I've heard a little rumor that you're um, going to be studying nutrition <laughs> <laughs> from the end of the year. I am. <laughs> this is like, groundbreaking news because no one else knows but I'm going back to university in, in September I, did <laughs> I know you sent me the questions she and I didn't read them she didn't read them she didn't know that was coming up but it's Don't fine Instagram it's it. fine because I need to talk about it anyway <laughs> I'm, I'm going back to do a master's in public health and nutrition full time in September it's very scary but I'm really excited for it it's just something that I've wanted to do for a long time and I haven't been brave enough to do it um, and the academic inside of me really wants to do it to just get back into academia and feel fully grounded in nutrition um so yeah i'll be doing that for a full year and then that'll be me and so that'll be more <laughs> little letters yes with your name <laughs> you're gonna have to start having like using extra boxes on like <laughs> forms and stuff um Okay, so um, one of the things that I definitely, definitely wanted to ask was about um, you've 
you've built this healthy lifestyle and it is nothing to do with numbers, it seems. So apart from on your recipes where there are grams, um, everything else <laughs> is just about the foods that you eat. Um, it's not counting macros and it's not being on the scales. Yeah. So for you, what are the markers of health? How do you measure? I, I think it's very different for different people. So for me, I don't really measure many things in terms of apart from the weights that I'm lifting in the gym, probably. Yeah. Um, and I kind of go on my clothes size if I think that I've gained any weight, but I wouldn't like actively try to lose weight either. Um, but then if I have patients who come in and they've got high blood sugars or high blood pressure and high cholesterol, then I've got like, you know, measurable markers that are parameters for poor cardiovascular health that I can use. But I try not to focus on weight even with them. Yep. Um, I think that we focus too much on weight and BMI. And it's, although in in context, it can be useful, taken out of context, it can be actually really unuseful. Um, and I'd say that as a doctor and also as someone in, in the health space as well. So I try to focus away from weight and aesthetics when it comes to encouraging people yep. to have a healthier lifestyle. Because, you know, we spoke about the TED Talk briefly, but trying to encourage... I had, my TED Talk was TEDx Youth, so the audience were 12 to 26-year-olds, right. and trying to encourage them to exercise for reasons that are not just to look good is difficult. But when, I, when you put it into context and say, you know, how we opened the conversation was, right, show of hands, how many of you know someone with depression and yep. cancer and type 2 diabetes? And by the end of the, you know, I asked four questions, and everyone, 2,000 people had their hands up. And I was like, look these diseases like touch all of you and they're all related to physical inactivity okay. and that's how I bring them in and like make it relevant to everyone and I think we we focus we're you know some people just exercise or eat well because they think they should or they think they have to to look a certain way and when you take that out of the head of the picture it's actually way more empowering for people because they're like actually I can do it because I don't have to do it to look a certain way or to get to a certain number and if people need to lose weight oftentimes you find that just happens anyway as a yeah. byproduct of a healthy lifestyle and do you do you say to people that it's do you um ask people like to measure how they're feeling when they're doing stuff and they're on a health journey or to keep a diary or anything? Yeah, I think people offer it often without asking. Um, and almost that's more powerful than anything because that's what keeps people motivated. And I think once you get... What I say to people is it's really hard to describe that feeling. And most of you probably know because you're probably interested in health anyway. And once you get started and you realise oh my God, I have this incredible buzz after I go for a run or do that mm. class or feed my body right. It's hard to t describe that to someone. Um, but the mental health benefits are, I think we really underplay them. Like it's huge. And they're not just fleeting, although after your workout you feel good. Those benefits have long-term effects. And you know that's why we know that exercise reduces the risk of Alzheimer's disease and depression. It physically changes the structure of your brain to slow down aging. It's there's so much more that we don't really talk about. and I mean, there's a lot to go into, but that's just one side of things. Because they're one of the two um, biggest health concerns at the moment, aren't they? And they're a really big pull on the NHS. Yeah, absolutely. I think the, like, I don't have the stats to hand, but physical inactivity is 
we kind of estimate is contributing to so many of the, I mean like 80% of the diseases worldwide are non-communicable and that means it's a chronic disease that you can't catch like a flu, you can't pass it to one another. Something we develop and it's slow burning like diabetes is, it's not like you just go bam, you have it one day. You will probably, if you have an unhealthy relationship or have unhealthy lifestyle factors actually from a young age, that will develop over time and lend itself to you developing a poor health problem in the future. So it's really, really important that it's children and young people and young women and young men that we speak to yeah. today to stop them having these health problems in the future. And it's all about what you do regularly, isn't it? Not randomly. Absolutely. So. Yeah, I think you hit the nail on the head. That's exactly what it is. It's, it's, we're not asking anyone to run a marathon every day. It can be like, I mean, there was this um, press release last week from kind of the NHS and over the Active 10 app. Have you heard about that? No. So Active 10 app is like this, it kind of encourages people, we really give it to patients, but to do 10 minutes of exercise a day. And evidence shows that 10 minutes of like quite like moderate intensity exercise where you're getting your heart rate up, like a brisk walk even, is actually more effective than 10,000 steps a day. Because some people can do 10,000 steps a day, but it might just be like strolling around yeah. here and there. I was going to say, when you say brisk, you don't mean dawdling and scrolling Instagram no. and doing a bit of double tapping, do no, you? No, but it doesn't, mean, like, it doesn't mean doing burpees for 10 minutes. No, like, it just means walking at pace. Yeah, so like if you're doing 10 minutes of brisk walking every day, you're going to be helping yourself in the future. <laughs> and that's a really good starting yeah. place. Yeah. What would you say is the one thing that you do every day which makes the biggest difference to your health? I think the biggest change I've made, and this is like, I think it's been my year, it's my year anniversary sometime in June. I think I've passed it since I started meditating every day. Wow. Yeah, and I never thought I'd say that. <laughs> Because no. when I first started doing it, I was like, this is very weird and I'm never going to enjoy it. But I do it 10 minutes every day before I do anything else. And it's made me a more calm person. And is that still in your dressing gown in the morning? Yeah, in my dressing gown or in my pyjamas. I mean, that's, that sounds a bit creepy that I know yeah. that you've got this dressing gown. But it's only because I yeah. watch your stories and I feel like you're always in a dressing gown and nice slippers. I, well, I just <laughs> do have leisure. <laughs> <laughs> no, but it is. It's what I do. And I I kind of like have almost like this power hour. And I've stolen that phrase off Adrian. Okay. And, but I have this hour before I go on social media or anything. And that's meditation and my, and my workout. Okay. I, yeah. Before you've even like before checked anything. It. Yeah. Um, sometimes instead of working out, I'll just do emails. Okay. But it's before I do Instagram. <laughs> okay. Because I feel like that can just be a black hole and you get consumed into it. Or Twitter, any of those kind of platforms. Like, absolutely love them. That's where my, a lot of my work is. But you have to learn to moderate it like you do anything else in your life. Yeah, because you get asked a lot of very odd questions. I do. And I have to be really strict and not answer a lot of them because yeah. there'll be, like, medical questions that it's just so unethical for me to even try to start there. You know, people are like describe a rash to me and I'm like I just I just can't <laughs> go see your GP yeah, exactly definitely go and see your GP um, and uh, what's in your so obviously my whole big thing is about having this toolkit for life um, what is in your wellness toolkit oh um, I guess meditation meditation movement every day regardless of what form it is 
if you're not going to the gym, just go for a walk or listen to a podcast. Um, social connections. So like make sure you have strong social connections. Doesn't mean more friends the better. It just means having close friends. Yeah. Um, food. So in terms of food, having a good relationship with food. And that is, you know, yes, getting lots of fruits and vegetables and whole grains and all of those great plant-based foods into your diet, but also being okay with having a little glass of wine or chocolate every now and then. It's having that um, intuition to have a little bit and often, I think. Um, yeah, I think that would be it. And all, I think the fifth thing it would be stress management. And although meditation kind of comes under that, I am a big believer in having like things in our in our toolbox that we can kind of offset the stresses of daily life so even having a phone and the daily notifications we get the bing 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 that's like a that's sending signals to your brain to be like adrenaline's going up yeah the amount of times you get that every day that like dopamine hit like it's super stressful so we need mechanisms in our life that help us de-stress and whether that's a, a hot bath um listening to a podcast having like a wind down routine at night and also sleep like sleep is so important but we won't go into it but read the book why we sleep by matthew walker matthew walker that's his name why we sleep such a great book such a great book <laughs> well <laughs> it really sounds like that um your 16-year-old self would be super proud of you right now. You really, you really turned it around and you've created such a, an amazing career for yourself. Thank you. Um, and are helping so many people. Um, so thank you very much. Let's give you a round of applause. Thank you. Thank you for listening. I really hope you enjoyed this week's podcast. If you did, please rate and review on your podcast platform. And if you want me to talk to somebody else on here, why not drop me a DM at wellness underscore ed on Instagram. Until next time. Bye, guys.